0: Today, I'm talking with Galen Wright. He's a business owner, a screenwriter, and a longtime friend. He has immense experience and wisdom in the world of advertising. He also is in the process of writing several different screenplays and has a lot of interesting insights with the creative process and writing in general. It was a pleasure talking with him, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. And now, Galen Wright. So maybe we can start off with um, kind of your life journey, how you got to be uh, an author of uh, screenplays at this point Um, and, and kind of all the different steps in between and Mm -hmm. how that happened. Okay.
1: Well, I grew up in Santa Rosa, California. And even in junior high school, I was writing kind of interesting things and writing down little jokes or little miniature short stories that my friends would laugh at, high school especially. And I, I did really well in the English classes and got some encouragement about my writing. So like a lot of young guys, I, I thought, oh, I want to write the great American novel. I'm going to be a novelist. Yeah. So I you know, pursued that English degree and then a creative writing degree at uh, San Francisco State University, thinking I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a novelist. But then, you know, you start getting scared. and You think, There's, it's like saying, I want to be a tennis pro. And, and I had met this guy who was the head of the business department at Stanford. And he said, have you ever thought about being a copywriter? Yeah. And I I didn't even know what that was. I thought it was like the guys who put the dates in the beginning of books or whatnot. And so I took some classes in San Francisco on advertising copywriting and found out I had a pretty good knack for it. And it took me a while. And I thought, well, you know, uh, I think that's probably a way to make a living. And I can always write on the side and, and write that great American novel. So, so again, wanting to be a fine artist and then going into the commercial world, uh, I, I finally got a job. I uh, was teaching high school English and odd jobs. And, and then I finally got a, someone to try me out in, in an ad agency in San Francisco. I said, I'll work for free. And I, and I did pretty well. Yeah. And so that was how uh, that all began. And I felt guilty that I wasn't pursuing the fine art, but you know, I, I got married and had kids and, and it just was like the way to make a living. I think the only uh, uh, place where you can make more money per word technically is songwriting. Interesting. But that again, that's like saying, I wanna be a tennis pro. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so it's, it, the odds are against you. Odds sure. are against you. So, so I did really well and and really enjoyed advertising. It was exciting, you're out on shoots, you're you yeah. know, interacting with interesting people, clients, traveling a lot and, and making okay money. And uh, so that's how I uh, got started in advertising. Um, so um,
0: what would you say is kind of the difference in format between like writing a novel and writing an ad, just in terms of, um, like, how, how, if you're sort of training yourself to be a novelist, how hard is that sort of transition to writing kind of short-form form
1: ads? Well, that's the thing, you know. For me, uh, it began with, you know, short, punchy headlines. I, I, yeah. I could be kind of clever in, in the sprint, yeah. but not so good in... In the, in the distance run, which is what it you know, requires to write a novel, right. they're, so, they're so different uh, fields. But, but the, the common denominator is always story. Uh, what's great about advertising when, when you're, and in those days, it was all about writing the, the 30 second TV spot. You gotta squeeze a beginning, middle, and an end in 30 seconds, you, you're telling a story and you gotta do it quick. Yeah, and uh, and and again, that's where my my ADHD probably helped me out a bit, yeah. and uh, and being kind of a, a wise ass, you know, helped me a little bit too because it was yeah. clever. There were puns, double entendres, and and yet I, I seem to have a grasp for what what is it that separates this this client's product from, from the competition? Sure. What what sets it apart? So I was pretty good with, with positioning. But you know, I think I think that that's really true of novel writing too. I mean, I think you're you're going to succeed when you write something that has a, a strong position, yeah. And, and, and you can you can distill that position down into what in the movie trade they call a slug line, uh, into a short premise, uh, uh, totally something that you really have a focus, and that's what advertising uh, does for you. So I think it. I'm hoping in the long run, <laughs> it will have uh, uh, helped my. I I think it makes a ton
0: of sense because um, I've read a lot of books that you really don't feel hooked uh, until quite a bit into it, and yeah. I and I imagine that having that uh, background in being able to make quick hooking sort of punchy things, yeah, really does hook your audience a lot faster. Yes, um, and and you're able to kind of, yeah move them in the direction you want them to be in easier
1: yeah don't you love it when you read uh a novel and and sometimes it'll be the preface or whatever and right away i mean they just grab you yeah by the throat it's the best and thing ever. off you go yeah i'm trying to think of a quick example but I, I the name escapes me. what's what's the 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 horse movie that was so good about that
0: uh, um uh, is it the spielberg one yeah oh yeah warhorse right well there's that
1: and then there's the other one or secretariat yeah i yeah. mean i mean right away you're just you're just like in the story yeah i, I think about the movie a movie i really like is uh do you know children of men yeah here's this movie You're you're just watching it and and it's this dystopian universe and it reminds you a lot of kind of Walking through downtown Medford right now, you know there's homeless people and yeah. and and what's going on? You know what happened to my town? What happened yeah. to our our world? And then the action starts and it just is nonstop. You are on a e-ticket Disney ride roller totally. coaster for the next ninety minutes, and I think a great novel is like that too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. What what do you think about? the story how do you arc a story in such a way
1: that it sea biscuit like that? that's the one i was thinking of sea biscuit
0: actually my uh, a <laughs> couple of my siblings were extras in that movie serious yeah
1: see there you go yeah. small world
0: yeah small world for yeah. sure yeah. um yeah what do you think it is about a uh, a story like sea biscuit mm-hmm. uh, how, how does the writer grab the audience like that what what do you think are some of those um sort of meta traits
1: well i think probably uh, a unique point of view. Yeah, you know, I think uh, it, as I recall, the novel is written basically from the horse's point of view.
0: Interesting.
1: And and uh, I, I could be wrong on that, but yeah. I think that that's I think point of view is is the whole, you know, its voice is another uh, word for that. Yeah, you know, when I was uh, studying literature, <laughs> uh, my some of my favorite uh, uh, authors. We're really messing around with point of view in a good way, and I love first person uh, probably the, the best. Yeah, I think every kid's favorite is probably *Catcher in the Rye*. Yes, I mean there's it's there's your first person narrative where this guy has got this unique voice. Yeah, and you just want to follow him around through Manhattan and on this lost adventure, trying to figure out who he is. What a great what a great novel. Yeah, no, I, I
0: remember that one being. One of the easiest and quickest reads I've ever yeah. encountered.
1: Then a polar opposite, but another favorite of mine, would be Moby Dick. You know, here it, I think it starts, Call Me Ishmael. And here's this first person guy. Whenever I, I get rambunctious and bored, I jump on a ship and head out and do some whaling, whatever yeah. he says. But he, you're, you're on a journey with this guy, just, just like uh, Holden Caulfield. Yeah. Now you're off in the, in the deep sea uh, looking for this enormous white whale. I love that first person kind of point of view. Do you think that that we
0: uh, because I totally agree with you. Do you think that one of the reasons we um uh gravitate towards the first person perspective is because that's kind of how we hear our
1: own thoughts to some degree? Yeah, I would I would I would sure imagine so. Um another another uh I, I really liked uh, Faulkner and he he played with the same thing in a, in a book called uh as I Lay Dying about uh, these, these uh, sons honoring their mother's wish to be buried in her hometown as they put her on a cart and she's dead and they're taking her all over. And each chapter is a different brother or the, the husband or I think there's 15 different characters, but they're all written from the first person point of view. Fascinating book. Yeah. And I love, it was very experimental. Yeah. I love that
0: book. That's super cool. Yeah. I really like that. Um, so uh, not to jump around too no, much. No, no, jump around. Um, so could you tell me quickly uh, sort of the history of Steelhead and, okay.
1: and how that came to be? Well, that takes us back to San Francisco. I yeah. got this I got this job. And, and here's the deal. You know, I was in my writing program at the university and I was teaching. And then I got this interview, um, a friend of a friend of a friend, you know how that goes. Yeah in in san francisco at this ad agency and i was living at the time in uh, in the east bay and driving across the bay bridge and seeing san francisco all ignited and the most glorious looking little yeah. city in the world you know yeah. and then to get an opportunity to work at an ad agency in san francisco was like a real dream come true totally so i suspended all other dreams and really uh, Plowed into that thing and, and worked so hard. I mean, I would show up at five in the morning and just work till into the evening. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, started winning some awards and doing some things. And it, it, there's a, this leads to uh, Medford, Oregon uh, uh, fairly soon, but, but I was doing really well. And then I, I switched agencies. and went to McCann Erickson, which is part of the largest ad agency network in the world working on bigger and bigger accounts and, and winning awards and flying around and, and making a little more money. But here's what happened. You know. I, I got married, pumped out child after child <laughs> after child. You know something about five kids. Yeah, it's a lot. And, and next thing you know, you know, I'm in my uh, 30s and uh, own a home up in the hills with a view of the bay and, and, and everything's going really well. Uh, but the, the agency world, man, they want more and more and more of you yep and they wanted me to fly around the world more and, and work on Coca-Cola and work on this and international stuff. Uh, we need more of you, they yeah. kept saying. Um, and I just thought this is no place to raise my kids and and this is no way to be a father, a husband. So uh, Cindy and I decided, we started looking around. Where, where do we want to live? What kind of lifestyle do we want? Yeah. And we uh, were in a Volkswagen Vanagon and taking a little tour and, and drove through the Applegate Valley in, in Ashland and just thought, oh my gosh, this is great. It, I think it was April or May and there was a fresh dusting of snow on the mountains. And it's like, this is the most beautiful place we've ever seen in our lives. Yeah. Let's move here. Yeah. And not only is it uh, beautiful, but it isn't just like a bunch of rednecks. You know, it, totally. it, it, there's Ashland, there's Medford, there's Grants Pass, there's the Applegate Valley, which looked like Napa a hundred years ago. Yep. And so uh, we, we just picked up and moved because we want our kids to get poison oak and have a dog and, and build tree forts and, and have that kind of a country life. Totally. But it was career suicide. I mean, there was nothing here as far as I knew,
0: to some degree that 's still the case., Well, a little bit yeah, but
1: but then there's this surprise to it, because what I did is I met some guys that had this little funky agency I mean the, the day we happened to come up and start looking at real estate, there was a newspaper article about these guys looking just like like you, yeah. a picture with a, a guy on a headphones and a microphone yeah. and and doing these uh, advertising. Uh, TV commercials and radio commercials. So I called them up and and introduced myself, and they took me to lunch in Jacksonville. and And they they weren't hiring anybody. I said, "Well, I'm coming. I'm moving here. And I'm going to work for you. I'm working for free." And so they 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 paid me a, a small amount. But then I, I got to prove myself. Yeah. Well, next thing you know, we started growing that little agency and getting more and more accounts. And uh, and pretty soon. My goodness! I think I was doing better work here than I was doing it's in San Francisco. A lot of big budgets, but the projects come. You know, you're lucky to shoot two or three commercials a year.
0: That's now, wild. granted,
1: they're big budget. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget the time the first the first big budget commercial I shot. It was for uh, a Via Athletic shoes, and uh, we were we had this campaign we came up with it it had to do with we did like the joffrey ballet on avia athletic shoes and we'd show the the ballet dancers really going crazy and sweating and and working out and then we did like you know this, the the oakland raiders on avia athletic shoes and and they're doing like ballet through the tires as they're prancing in slow motion so we did a bunch of those and one was like new york on Via athletic shoes and la on Via athletic shoes and uh and so I was in New York shooting, and, and we had two whole blocks shut down, trucks everywhere. You know, in those days, it was huge grip trucks, and you're using, you know, tracks and jibs, and it was old school. Yeah. Real film. And, yeah. And I thought, I wrote down a few words, and next thing you know, they're shutting down two blocks, and this is a lot of responsibility. Yeah. But it really taught me something about the power of words. Totally. And so then I, I moved to the from from that to the polar opposite, you know, the little Rogue Valley. And I was writing more commercials than ever cuz these little low budget jobs yeah. local and and it was so fun and so creative <laughs> and we were just brainstorming together and these guys and I and probably a little bit less uh, sort of corporate intervention so getting much. in the way. Yeah. Yeah, the the money at stake was sure it was a lot for for these clients sure but you had to be so resourceful and everybody's pitching in and and carrying cameras and and doing wardrobe and set design it's just the whole thing and we really we had so much fun and uh and this was a little agency called emma and it was emma which stood for you know, acronym for the partner's sure. last names, but two of them were gone. The M's were already gone. So <laughs> it made no sense. <laughs> so we, we named the, the agency Steelhead. And I okay. said, you, you guys, you got, you got to move to Ashland because people know about Ashland. and It seems like a creative vibe. And totally. I think we'll get more clients that way.
0: Yeah. So how long after that did you guys uh, establish um, a office in Portland?
1: It took, a, it was quite a few years but you know we we landed uh Asante in fact we named Asante uh I didn't know that that's really interesting yeah it was it was a time when healthcare was uh systems were more popular it it, it uh uh the patient community felt like bigger was better and and so little you know Rogue Valley Medical Center felt insecure against Providence and some of the bigger systems so so and, and, and not only that, they were up against, they wanted a, a, a brand identity, a name that would compete with Providence, who had the cross on the building. And so uh, I came up with a name, Asante, which sounds kind of spiritual, and it means toward health interesting uh, in, in Swahili. <laughs> and, but it had a nice ring to it. And, and so we shot some really heartfelt commercials, really tug, tug at the, at the heartstrings and, uh, and, and use very, very, uh, almost choir-like spiritual music and, and, and really created a soul for Asante that was, was really powerful. And, uh, and that, that helped us land some other healthcare work throughout the, we, we, moved from just being a little local agency to a national agency that's amazing same thing happened with uh we had the local uh uh, distributorship for mitsubishi uh uh, products televisions and uh, uh, my partner mark portrait had the idea of well what if we tagged the commercial with a local uh, name but but sold the the commercial to other affiliates. Uh, that's done a lot now, but at yeah. the time it was a very uh, new idea. Well, the the agency of record for Mitsubishi was shy a day. I mean, shy a day. Apple, I mean, th- this is like a big agency. Yeah, that's huge. But this technique really took off because what it allowed uh, the affiliates to do is have their have a large brand feel, but with a local tag, like, like it was a local commercial. And, uh, Mitsubishi loved it. So they, they took the account from Shy Day and gave it to Little Steelhead. That's in, amazing. In, you know, Ashland, Oregon. Yeah. So that's pretty, that was pretty good. And, and, and that's, that happened more and more. And we were doing really good work, uh, winning awards. And uh, next thing you know, we got the LG account. Uh, I mean, that's crazy for, yeah. a, for an agency. So this gamble of leaving the Bay Area and moving to... Seemingly nowhere really paid off my career uh, uh, You know I'd make the same kind of bucks you'd make sure in the big city But, but I was sure having more fun much
0: lower too. Totally.
1: Yeah, and it was a great life great life
0: and how much do you think the? Um, advent of the internet assisted in Allowing a small agency in kind of a remote part of the country to to become Successful or, or do you think it had any influence at all? Kind
1: of both and neither. Sure. On, on the one hand, I think that, um, it, you know, the internet allows anyone, anywhere to be as, as big as they want to be, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, the sky's the limit. You, you're an imagination that flourishes in, in Medford, Oregon, can be just as powerful as, you know, Manhattan. Uh, so from that standpoint... Uh, The whole world opens up as a media channel everything the whole world is is available to you Uh, On the other hand part of the This is a little uh, complex and and I'm not sure I I can articulate this just right, but I think it was um, The poet Marshall McEwen that said the medium is the message Well, it seems to me the medium took over the message right suddenly The technology, the internet, uh, was not just the motor driving. It became the whole message, right? And I think what got left in the dust temporarily was the art of storytelling. It became all about clicks. It became all about SEO, keywords. Totally. uh, you programmers took over. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> no, really. But no, it, it's it, true. it was necessary. Yeah. It was necessary uh, to develop this insanely breakthrough technology. I mean, one of the most important things that's happened since the invention of what? The yeah. automobile, the airplane, uh, the telephone. I mean, this, is, this, is, this was a game changer. And so, yes, the technology took center stage. Yeah. And And the writers... And the art directors and designers uh, were more like the second string. Now, as the internet has matured, I think. It's kind of coming full circle. A I bit. sure think so. Yeah. I, I, more and more, I think that there's much less emphasis, I notice now, on the part of, of clients or agencies or artists on uh, what are the keywords and how many what what are the analytics that are going to da 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 there, there's well what is our brand story yeah it, it's come back to as it should yeah uh now we have this incredible machinery we've got this means to access the entire globe uh and reach the entire globe but therefore we better reach them with a brilliant story that's rooted in in you know true strategy and and, yeah. and a real position and brand that makes sense
0: do you think part of that could be because we've kind of come back to film uh, uh video as a medium uh more so on on Instagram on YouTube and all, all of those different platforms? I
1: totally think so. Yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's such a cliche but a, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. A video tells 10,000. I mean, it's just totally. so powerful uh as a visual medium. So so I do think that um and on, on top of that, you know, you can take this little iPhone and, and shoot a caliber of movie that was unheard of 20 yeah. years ago. It's,
0: that's amazing. So,
1: so the cost of production obviously has come way down, yep. especially compared to the days when I'm shooting in a VIA commercial in New York <laughs> with, with old film cameras and whatnot, editing with, you know, razor blades and all <laughs> of that. Uh, you can do so much now with, with so little. Totally. And that's the miracle, right? I mean, that's the revolution. That's, that's the beauty. Uh, and so, video really is, is very possible and it's just so much more powerful than just a still. Absolutely. So, I, I definitely think more and more you're going to see websites harnessing video. Uh, you know, they've, they've been primarily like almost like a, a, a resume or whatnot. And, and that's important, but, but why not communicate your brand's story? Uh, on your website and yeah. what better way to do it than video.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah.
1: Um, so
0: back to the, the, your original partners at steelhead, how, what was their uh, previous um, history as well? Like, well, that's what what's great.
1: Th- these guys yeah. were just, you know, born and raised right here in Medford. Amazing. And doing it on just their own guts and instincts and really doing well. You know, I, I brought a little bit of, of uh, big city sophistication, which, which you know, there, there was some merit to my experiences. There really was. And, uh, but these guys had a real knack for, uh, for, for understanding positioning. And, and our combination together was, was lethal and good. And we really, uh, we really had an awful lot of fun.
0: And um, was there a point... Uh, at which you started um, delegating more of the creative work away from yourself? Or were you always kind of the uh, head of, or always involved in most of the projects?
1: Yeah, I was, my title was creative director. I was owner, but, but creative director. And when I first got here, I, I, uh, I asked Emma, I'd like to meet your creative director. They didn't know what that was. <laughs> they introduced me to their director guy who who shoots the commercials uh so they they didn't have a sophisticated understanding of of how you know sophisticated ad agencies work and and our uh but which is which was good because we were just a team we were like a family now we grew at one point i think we had about 25 employees and yes i had people that i could delegate to we had a, a couple other writers art directors um but it was still always such a neat, small little troupe and, and as I said, everybody's just jumping in together uh, on shoots and, and it was it was wild. I mean, I think I must have, on that in the first couple of years, I must have written and produced, a hundred commercials compared to you know what i mean That's i mean crazy. we were just cranking them out and, yeah. and some of them were fantastic and some of them were, were awful because <laughs> you know you're doing a lot of retail work sure. and, and it's just like sunday 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 it's big sale half price you know it's just it was just classic traditional stuff and some of them were you know still these days you'll see a local commercial and just oh my
0: gosh oh yeah oh I'm, my gosh the ones that were, Ouch. Uh, <laughs> i remember the airport chevrolet commercials those yeah. were those were tough yeah oh my but where do you think those uh kind of cliche uh styles come
1: from oh i i don't know it's i think i think it is true that that hardcore old-fashioned retail advertising where you just tell them what you're going to tell them tell them tell them what you told them and make sure you use the word free or sale or half price and say it loud and uh you know i I remember i I showed up for the right my first day of work and, and we were editing a a commercial over at uh, one of the television stations and it was just graphics and a big, you know, announcer talking like this really fast and the graphics are flying at you and don't miss it. You know, it it was just horrible. Yeah. And, and, but then, but, and and you got to do some of that. That that might come from radio. Do you think? Oh, I think so. I think from the old days of radio, probably so. And and sometimes it works, yeah. you know, it just works. I mean, if you it sticks in your head. Well, yeah, you hammer people over the head enough and yeah. and and it's in there. It's annoying. <laughs> it's very annoying, and it still exists. Yeah.
0: Oh, I've heard it. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. especially on like ro- local radio stations. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Um
1: Yeah. So, um well, one thing, you know, just here's just an example of how like we, how how a Medford affiliate for Mitsubishi could run a commercial that features, we went and shot a commercial with Joe Montana, and uh, I mean, how are you can do that in Medford? So that's in what I'm way. talking about. Yeah. So you're you're able to go to these different places all over the states and say, here's a commercial with Joe Montana, but yeah. it, but it, but it's tagged with with your brand, your name, your store facility is seen and and so you get you get a national caliber but but for pennies on the dollar yeah and so we we went and shot the the whole premise was that joe doesn't want to retire he just can't retire but now that he's got his big giant mitsubishi big screen he can just (laughs) kind of relax and chill out but we were showing him you know throwing balls at neighbors and hitting the garbage man and the paper boy knocking him over he just can't he can't stop which was true yeah and and so it had a truth and, and had some personality and charm and humor. And and so people were going to watch something like that. Totally. It told a story. Yeah. Do you
0: think that um, the quality of ads was kind of hurt by, um, I don't know, maybe the advent of the internet or or DVRs or
1: something like that? This, yeah, I, I do. I, you know, well, let's use an example <laughs> of, of one of the chief uh, uh, inventors and who is doing i think the best advertising ever you take apple i mean we all we always talk about apple yeah but when they first came along in in the early 80s and and reinvented computing they they had a tagline i think uh, was uh, apple the computer for the rest of us and the whole idea was you know, you think of computers as IBM or the military, and it's you know it's DOS. And you can't nobody can understand it. It's it's inaccessible to us human beings. It was very similar to to Volkswagen advertising, which is which was you know the people's car, uh, Volkswagen. Think small. It was it was so different than GM and Buick and bigger is better than yeah. Cadillac. And here's this little teeny round Volkswagen, and uh, but it really captured. It goes back to this voice, this point of view where you felt like Volkswagen was talking right to me. yeah, personally, in That's the amazing. first person, you know, this corporation became human. and Apple did the same thing. They, they had uh, taglines like uh, "Think different." and, and they, they did. and they you know we all just worshiped them because they were so great. We all remember that classic commercial where that. Runner comes in with a hammer, and all the drones are worshiping at the big screen of this big head that looks kind of like the Wizard of Oz, yeah. and then, but it really it's IBM, and <laughs> and she throws this hammer and crashes the screen, and the announcer says, you know, "You're about to see why 1984 won't be like 1984." Introducing the Macintosh, right? Yeah. It was the beginning of Mac. They changed everything. Yeah, everything. And and you know, say what you will about steve jobs i don't know what kind of a human being he was but what a genius oh for sure and what a branding guy he yeah. really understood how to connect with
0: people well, and one of the things i think he did so well too, beyond the branding is just f- laser focus on making a great product
1: such a great product yeah such a great product and 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 that's what i mean about the internet uh has has free it's the greatest thing that's ever happened i i can have act i have access to Harvard professors. Yeah. If I have a question, I ask Siri, I get the answer. It's not always right. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We have such yeah. knowledge available to us.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: but I, I really feel like they've lost their their focus. Uh, you yeah. know, I think it began to wane after jobs went away. I agree. And, and now uh, they are that big monolithic corporation that it's not, I don't know. It, it's like for, it's expensive. It's for elites. It's the polar opposite. Yeah. Of where they began.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And and their advertising reflects it too. It All totally it is does. is just one big, you know, three dimensional shot of a phone turning or whatever, yeah. and you're like, I mean, it's it looks not nice, that but, but Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> it, they've lost the the magic of. I mean, they were they were so so brilliant. Uh, volkswagen was brilliant, Honda was brilliant you know i think I think now and, and and to to your point, the internet has been great but but it's also uh, it, it, it's homogenized uh technology in a way, and we've lost that kind of hero, heroic individualism that yeah. that we all uh loved about volkswagen and and uh, and apple i think I think you know, this is probably controversial, but I think Elon Musk is kind of the new, uh, the new Steve Jobs, the new Apple, Tesla. I mean, the first time I, I stepped into a Tesla, I thought I was driving a, a, an Apple computer in, in the days of old. It was <laughs> like, what, it was like what, yeah. what the iPhone did to telephones yeah. and, and what Mac did to computers, Tesla did to the driving experience.
0: Absolutely, it, it jumped. Twenty years ahead of its time, at least. Yeah. In in one swoop. Yeah. Amazing.
1: And I know they're not perfect, and some people don't like them at all, and, and some people uh, uh, think Tesla drivers are like the new Porsche drivers, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there there may be
0: some truth. There might be
1: some truth to that, but um, like I'm just hearing in the news now that that Apple is like wanting to drop, uh, you know, Twitter from their yeah. apps and Heard that. and. Elon Musk is saying, well, fine, I'll make my own phone. Yeah, I'd buy that phone. I know, I was
0: thinking the same thing. I'm like, maybe we need that because phones have gotten really boring in the last five years or so.
1: There, there was a, a real brash ballsiness to, to, to Apple and, and, and Volkswagen in really taking on the status quo. Yeah. Uh, and, and you don't see much of that anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think maybe part of it is there is kind of a, it seems like there's a big barrier to entry nowadays, especially in those sort of well-established industries like, you know, phones or computers or whatever. Yeah. So in order to be there, you almost already have to be a huge multinational conglomerate or something. Mm. And almost by definition, those companies are always boring and sterile and conservative. Yeah. So it kind of... Seems like it maybe is just the natural progression until something comes along as like a startup or something that that breaks that mold.
1: It's somewhat understandable when you know an, an obvious position for Apple is we're the little guy. Yeah. Uh, IBM's the big guy, but now but now we're the big guy. So how, yeah. do, how do you maintain your, <laughs> yeah. your your little guy underdog status? It's it's a little tough. It is tough, and
0: I think it probably um, to some degree. Stems from the top down. I mean you have someone uh, Tim Cook is not even at all similar to uh, Steve Jobs in his style of running the company and I think maybe that was I think Jobs kind of knew that he Thought this guy's really conservative, you know in quotes obviously and he will uh, He will keep the company running well but not necessarily move it forward and and they
1: just are not the innovations no you know
0: no they're very boring nowadays
1: you'd love to think and i i don't know if if it's possible you know if there's any silver lining to the the whole covid crisis thing is that that maybe we kind of step back and and go what what can we make ourselves what can we do that's truly innovative how can we think like Apple did outside the box, yeah. and not necessarily just rely on on globalized bigness. Totally. What, could, what what innovations could come up? So I wonder if we're heading toward a real renaissance in creativity. I certainly
0: hope so. Uh,
1: that would take place in in manufacturing and and in the arts and.
0: Yeah, because it, it, if you look at it almost overall, it's it feels like there are a lot of uh, really. Boring industries that used to be really innovative and interesting that have become boring. I, I think film is another one of mm. those areas where you just yeah. see sequel after sequel after sequel of films, and there's just nothing really new yeah. happening yeah. there. And it became just more about the money than it did about the art, it seems.
1: Absolutely mm-hmm. true. You see that in Star Wars, in Marvel, in a lot of it. Now, the, the thing is, I mean, Marvel is an interesting example because... For a while, there they were really cranking out some good stuff. Yeah, that's because it was coming out of of a a heritage of um, of real storytelling. You know, kind of the hero's journey. Right. uh, If you're familiar with "The Man with a Thousand Faces," Joseph Campbell, and 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 Star Wars followed, Lord of the Rings followed that, The Matrix followed that. Some of the great uh, 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 films and stories. uh, I mean, I think Lord of the Rings is is phenomenal. They fought, but they followed that kind of early, real storytelling uh, uh, technique. Yeah. And but then Marvel's just cranking, cranking, cranking. It's just yeah. It's, it's very. It's not real storytelling. It's just it's just formulaic in terms of here's the special effects and the totally. CG and here's what we can do and we're and uh, I, I think. Um, it would be really great to, to get past that and, and return to almost classic Frank Capra kind of storytelling. Absolutely, Where you really do have uh, uh, stories with, with a real heart that you relate to, a point of view, personal, first-person stories. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, that actually brings up a thought I had yesterday, which is, um, do you think that it is... That it is media that defines culture or culture that defines media? Which way or does it even, maybe it's both?
1: It's been media defining culture, hasn't it? I mean, you know, we really have been defined by uh, social media, for instance. You almost don't even call it, we're talking about advertising. Yeah. You almost don't call it advertising anymore. It's just social media. And, and sometimes it's been reduced down to just kind of the, the, the depth of, of Instagram, where it's just pe- pepper with a lot of, of images and, 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 and keywords and things that will uh, 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 you know, work within the algorithms of, of the media. Um, and the message has gotten uh, completely lost. And yet, and yet... Historically, culture has been so um, formed by good storytelling, right? I mean, I think when, when you think about America's greatest uh, uh, export, clearly it's got to be film.
0: Oh, without I mean, it, you go to any country, at least any country that has some money to buy a TV or something, yeah. and they rave about American film yeah no one especially in europe has not you know there's Mm -hmm. no family that hasn't seen at least a few american films it's it's pretty amazing
1: i mean the whole world wants to wear blue jeans and look like americans and 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 listen to american rock and roll and that's culture it's 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 incredible obviously it's got its dark side and its downside
0: without a doubt
1: uh but uh, that is that if you want to affect the world for the good, let's make good movies, let's write good novels, let's Agreed. tell good stories.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I almost wonder, too, if uh, we continue down this path of just sort of boring corporate films that seem to keep coming out, at least in the theaters, um, if another country will take over uh, right. as the creative sort of center of the world. And and actually, one that I have my eye on a little bit is South
1: Korea. A lot they've of people making, are looking at South Korea. They've been making a lot really of really great stuff. films and, and with a heart. I mean, yeah. it, it really does remind you of the old Frank Capra kind of movies from yeah. the, the 50s and 60s.
0: Totally. And they, I think, yeah, that because they have less to lose, I think they're willing to take bigger risks on mm-hmm. the stories that they tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in America, you know, it's a bunch of big companies that are making these films. So.
1: Yeah. And they're kind of the underdog, right? I mean, totally. you know, historically, uh, kind of the, uh, the, the ne'er-do-well brother of, of Japan and looked down upon. And, and so here's the little guy rising up and doing amazing things. And that's yeah. true. I mean, come on. It's LG, Samsung, uh, Korean products, Korean cars, Kia, right? Yeah. Films, they're, they're kind of like like America was back when we were looking up to... Europe, and then we came along and just kicked some butt, right? <laughs> Culturally, <Yeah. laughs> uh, uh, in, in every way, in innovation. Yeah, and so you're seeing that in South Korea, and that's it's, it's kind of cool.
0: It is. It's super cool, and it's actually it it's exciting to me. I mean, I don't really have a dog in the fight, so to yeah. me, it's like I'm a consumer of media. I love watching good stories. So I'm my regret
1: when we worked on LG is that we never uh, went to to uh, South Korea. I hear it's really beautiful. Me too. I mean yeah. come on, Korean barbecue is be- great food. Yeah. Uh it's Absolutely. it's a great country, and I never never got to go. It's
0: certainly on my list of places yeah. to visit without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I hear really good things. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, that's and, and oh, the other aspect of it of that, that I was thinking about too is um like it seems like innovation and um and sort of good art and all that s- seems to sort of come out of uh harder times hmm. so maybe that could be part of it i think korea at yes. least they had like a huge economic crash i think in the 80s yeah and so maybe they're kind of going through a renaissance of their own because of that hard time that they've been through
1: <clears throat> yeah i think that's definitely true and i um uh, Covid might be a small version of that because really it's really been a few years, uh, but now with with inflation and possibly recession, you know, it depends how bad it goes. But yeah, but once in a while, there is a bit of a, a silver lining to some some setbacks where people are having to struggle and and ask themselves what what really matters here, yeah, what, what is really really important. And I think Covid actually may have been
0: a good thing overall because. I've never seen a time, at least in my life, where more people, you know, moved geographically, found new jobs, made more sort of significant life changes in one short period of time than ever before. And Mm -hmm. I I don't think that is necessarily a bad thing for a lot of people. It's kind of a catalyst for change.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, uh, uh, voting with your pocketbook and and moving to where you you uh, uh, Admire the values and whatnot. Totally, you know, we've been so insulated here in in southern Oregon and The the beauty of it is it's just its own little world this hidden little gem of a valley the rogue valley uh, It that's one of the problems with with the internet and globalization is suddenly we're not we can't just hide out here and be nap a hundred years ago We've got these great wineries, yeah. these great. It's such a wonderful place to live. Totally, but but I do find myself uh, wondering: Do do I still uh, adhere to the to the values of of Oregon? And and it causes me to maybe look around. Are there other places to live?
0: Yeah, I've thought the same thing. Totally, um, without getting
1: too political. No, either. no, for
0: sure. And right. It's but also I, I uh, on that specific note, I think that you know, Southern Oregon is a bit unique yeah. uh, as a microcosm mm-hmm. in Oregon as a whole. I mean, we definitely do not share the same sort of values as Portland or Eugene, I wouldn't right. say. Which yeah, I, I totally agree. Maybe minus Ashland.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you want, you want, you know, you want a cultural mix and diversity and, and whatnot. And we, and we do have a bit of that here. It's one of the reasons we were yeah. attracted that it wasn't strictly... Uh, moving to at at that time, Grants Pass. But now, Grants Pass is is uh, coming along. It's a pretty cool place.
0: It is. I, I actually just went to the downtown for the first time uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And sorry, not the first time. The first time in a really long time. Right. I think growing up, I only went there maybe twice, which is yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and they have just a great um, kind of Ashlandy meets I don't know something yeah, else. I agree. It's it's fun. I agree. And then there's a lot of uh, pretty interesting, creative um, little shops and businesses downtown, yes. which I appreciate a lot.
1: Yeah, and, and that was... You, you were feeling like that was happening in Medford. Then COVID came along and we went back to being a morgue. Yeah. But I think that's changing. And I think I think there's real hope for the Valley. I think so too.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. and And the fact that we didn't lose... I think that Portland lost a lot more business than we did somehow. I'm not sure why, but when I went back uh, sort of at the tail end of COVID, at least half of the restaurants and places that I really enjoyed going to when I was living there were just gone.
1: Well, you asked... Uh, I think I derailed you. You asked a while ago when Steelhead uh, moved up to Portland. Well, yeah, but that in those days Portland was fantastic. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. You that was know, the
0: glory days.
1: They they were the glory days. We had a little loft in the Pearl District, and uh, I loved going up there and, and working. working. Uh, Seeing I'd go up and stay. It was it was really neat to be part of that thriving city yeah. everybody and run around bicycles and drinking coffee and and going to the, the the coolest little beer joints on earth yeah i mean it was it was just it was nirvana it was really wonderful yeah and, and to your point you go up there now and you just
0: it's not the same it's, it's not it, the same it's changed even in the four years since i moved there or moved away from there right like dramatically yeah. i it's not even close to the same city i moved away from it's really bizarre yeah um how fast that all happened. Even in my little tiny area where I lived, there's like at least 15 new huge apartment complexes right mm-hmm. around there. It doesn't even have the same
1: vibe. It's really bizarre. And that's what happened to California on steroids. I mean, that, that you can't find a more beautiful uh, place in the world than California. Yeah. I mean, come on, Big Sur and San Francisco and Mount Mal- I mean, it's a glorious, glorious state. We When right. I was a... a young young man i drove all around the united states and and saw so many beautiful things but then came back to california and looked at yosemite and the wine country and and, oh yeah and the coast and thought oh my gosh yeah but but look what's happened to it i mean you nobody in their right mind is moving to san francisco or la no they're fleeing
0: it's too expensive there's a massive homeless problem it's huge it's, yeah there's yeah. a lot of downsides yeah
1: i mean you're gonna let your kid play in the streets and no nowhere so no and i think that's probably what's happened in, in in portland and and it's sad because you know the places that are are so dynamic and beautiful the the, the coasts yeah um uh, but and yet young people are going wow uh, i'm gonna Moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> and there's thriving coffee yeah. shops and yeah. restaurants and all kinds of art going on. It's true. Or or Nashville or Knoxville, Tennessee, or uh, you know, all over the country, people are are migrating to places where they don't have the same crime, yep. homelessness, yep. And, and and housing uh, costs. Too. And housing costs. Yeah, and I think this is part part of this renaissance that might be happening in America.
0: Yeah, and maybe it will start with uh, the South. That would be kind of funny. Uh, it would be very funny. I could see that though. I, mean, I, it- I was
1: just there uh, visiting in uh, uh, North Carolina. Yeah. And Raleigh's thriving. And we went to Asheville, which is kind of like Ashland, only bigger. Yeah. And it's thriving. And the Smoky Mountains are beautiful. Yeah. No, they're not as beautiful as Southern Oregon. Hard to beat Southern Oregon. They're not. Uh, and and we spent a lot of time in in Florida and i used to just tease you know i grew up in california so florida was like oh that's only where you know old people go to die <laughs> and but then you, you you look around and it's thriving there's all yeah. kinds of fun coffee shops and restaurants and things to do and rivers and yeah. lakes and and there's more trees per capita than any other state yeah that's huge uh, it, it's it's an, and it's got more farmland Apparently, than California right now. That's
0: wild. It's well, it with is the drought. Wild. It makes sense. It There's, does make sense. It's,
1: they've got a lot of water.
0: It's weird. Yeah, making that drive to Southern California um, as a kid. Almost all of those farms along the I five were yeah. were being used, and nowadays it's almost yeah. all desert. It's very bizarre. It is.
1: But again, this global crisis and even the Ukraine war, it, it brings to light that that the the you know what affects one affects the other and and the whole world is is struggling uh covid war there's there's got to be a, a kind of a a yearning for a reset and uh, yeah. and maybe and and i i actually think you know, Elon Musk is part of that. I think. He, yeah. I think he really wants to get back to that same spirit that put a man on the moon. Yeah, uh, I'm not totally. anxious to go to Mars myself.
0: Me neither. But, <laughs> but it's exciting to root for that. Well, yeah. Again, I,
1: I have a fantasy that before I die, uh, my wife and I will, will, will do a, an anniversary on the moon. Wouldn't it be kind of cool to go spend <laughs> oh, a couple of nights on the moon?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, and it is not that far-fetched the way technology is progressing right now especially his companies it's amazing. i know yeah
1: i think the the fantasy is going to come true i think i think i also want to get in a in some sort of a pod and just fly yeah you know you just you just fly it <laughs> and, and it's three-dimensional yeah we the, the car thing has not changed in over a hundred years and there's still four rubber tires yeah. and a,
0: and and commercial flights haven't changed in at least fifty no, it's we very really similar. need
1: some serious innovation. Yeah, I agree. Or or
0: our economy is gonna be pretty stagnant, I yeah. would say. Yeah.
1: Um
0: uh to get back to the topic of um advertising, mm-hmm. what do you think is something that uh, businesses can do at maybe in a sort of low budget way yeah. uh, to establish a brand image. And, and what is kind of the significance of the brand
1: image? That's, that's the problem. I, I think back to your, your, you've got kind of a theme almost of, of, of having a love hate relationship with the internet. It, it's the internet. It's done so much for us, yeah. but, but it really has stifled some, some creativity. Yeah. And in, and you're, you're nailing it in the, arena of of brand identity i i think what we've done is we, well the answer is we've got to get a website and get a whole bunch of clicks yeah that's our that's our business plan that's our strategy that's our marketing strategy and and uh, but what what's left behind is well who am i as a company what is my brand personality what is my my kind of one-on-one brand voice what story am i going to tell that sets me apart from, from the competition. And, uh, and that's, I think that's my favorite part about, uh, advertising. What we did at, at Steelhead, and I continue to do this a bit is, uh, we would have these, uh, brand retreats. We would take the the key players in a company, uh, those who were decision makers, especially in, 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 in as re- related to marketing and, and branding and, 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 uh, our our public persona. And we'd sometimes just go away, go find a cabin up in the woods and take a couple of days, eat together, break bread, and paper paper the walls with ideas. You know, uh, as mundane as if I were an automobile, what would I be? If uh, if a movie star was playing my company's logo, who would star? You know, those kind of stupid questions, but, but some more sophisticated ones as well. Really dream casting, what is the vision for this company? Who are we, really? What are we, what are, what are we contributing to, to society? Right. And, and what are our passions and dreams? What's our unique gifts? Get that all down and distill it down into a real brand personality. And then you can begin to put words to it, values to it. And you write your mission statement and your vision statement. And you distill down your brand position. You do all that kind of work at a brand retreat. Now you can begin to go forth and and have a real point of view. And it and it and it determines a lot of your next steps. It might be that well we got to redesign our, our package. Our our packaging sucks, <laughs> uh, or we've got to uh, clean house and 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 look for a different approach because we've got some problems in in personnel or we need to move from Medford to Ashland temporarily, yeah. you know, uh, just just in order to uh, capture the attention. We've got to, you know, it, it makes decisions. It, it, I mean, if you do this right, and you really come up with your brand uh, persona, uh, you, it affects the furniture you buy, the color of your walls. It affects everything, right? Yeah. And, and then you make sure every employee uh, knows what that mantra is, this is what we're about, this is who we are. Yeah, that's such an important thing. That lays the foundation for, for growth.
0: And then and it kind of even sets the culture of your company to some degree at that point.:
1: Absolutely. It might require a name change. You, yeah. you don't know. And, uh, and then um, then you can begin to go to your, your, your website and, and instill those values and, and ideas uh, into your communication. I think as as you pointed out earlier, the power of of video, uh tell your brand story in video. It doesn't have to be a super expensive endeavor. Yeah. But who are we? What do we believe in? What are we what are we trying to accomplish? But but again, it isn't just here's we've been in the valley for 40 years and we are trustworthy and blah, blah, blah. It it isn't about it, you've got to you've got to um Back to this hero's journey. Yeah. A, a, a good brand recognizes that the hero is our is our customer. The the consumer is the hero. I am the guru who comes along with the magic elixir that's going to solve their problem. Right. And and then you become a servant to your consumer, and you're providing the wisdom and guidance for them. And here's how your product is going to help them. That that kind of uh, thinking begins to establish your brand. It's not about me. Yeah. It's about you.
0: And that kind of leads into my next question, which is, um, yeah, how, once you have, you know, let's say uh, a Nike style brand identity of just do it or something like yeah. that. Yeah. How do you then convert that into a not like smashing you over the head sort of uh, <laughs> a commercial that um that's so obvious of what they're saying but, right. but actually is sort of uh hidden but more powerful
1: in a sense again i think that gets back to really good uh storytelling you know um nike like like apple like volkswagen another just a powerful powerful brand and i i think uh i don't know i wouldn't be able to analyze where they are now i just don't really know yeah. and maybe that speak something about their brand. I think it
0: kind of does. boy, in
1: the day, I mean, they, they really created a revolution. We, we take it for granted now, but in, in those days, you know, people were wearing, you know, Converse All-Stars to their gym classes. And, and you know, the, they came along and, and made fitness uh, a religion. Yeah. And, and, and talk about making the consumer the hero. They were telling you, that's a tattling direct toward you. Just do it. But it was an inner voice. You can do this thing. You can accomplish this goal. And our shoes are the magic elixirs that will help you on your journey. And when they grabbed the, the Beatles and, and did Revolution, I mean, that was just like genius. It yeah. was expensive, but Worth it worked. It, yeah. it <laughs> really amazing. worked. And, uh, and who didn't want that little swoop yeah, on their shoe, uh, it was it was really really powerful.
0: Yeah, and actually, uh, I read Phil um, Knight's uh, autobiography a while back called mm. Shoe Dog, and he talks about how the the Nike swoosh was actually just created by some like art intern who made five thousand dollars or something like. Oh that. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, how that is probably the top, you know, five or whatever most recognizable brand
1: images. And who knows? I don't know. I don't. Did he, did he tell you where "just do it" came from? I don't think that came up. Sadly, you know, it's so funny because it's these three little words. You know, you can imagine these guys brainstorm. How oh, we got to come up with a campaign? Or, know, we just got to do it. Yeah. Who knows how they did it? And, <laughs> and it probably everybody takes credit. I wrote yeah. that. I wrote that. <laughs> this happens in brainstorms. You know, you you'll, And I love brainstorms. You get a group of people together, and that's back to the the. the what what companies can do yeah to get away for the brand retreat uh whether you hire a consultant like me or you do it uh yourselves that kind of get out get out of the office and brainstorm and uh, is really a powerful thing and then everybody thinks they came up with this great idea well we came up with this great idea together
0: yeah no absolutely and and i think it makes a lot of sense to get out of the sort of office space for sure because you think differently when you're in a in a different environment
1: well and this is this is the other problem in and i don't know what your thoughts would be on this but you know COVID has has uh opened the door as the internet has sure to to working from home working remotely and on the one hand you know you think yourself hallelujah i mean my gosh i could live in Kauai and and uh run an office in muskogee Um, and yet what we're also finding is that we've lost some of the magic of the brainstorm right absolutely you know it's one thing to to do it on a zoom call but it's just not the same as getting out to a cabin in the woods and and having a barbecue and and then papering the walls with with sticky notes
0: yeah I have such mixed feelings because, you know, on the right. one hand, I am able to stay home with my wife and child and yes. deal with that. And that would never be possible if we were working in the office. But on the other hand, it, I it's very socially isolating to it work is. from home. And and Zoom is not, you know, Zoom or FaceTime or whatever your uh, app of choice is definitely not the same as in-person right. uh, face-to-face meeting. But then on the other hand too, you have uh like when I was working at the office, there's a lot of times where you're distracted by your coworkers and so
1: much wasted time. Yeah. Oh so it's gosh.
0: it's such a mix. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. But I think you know, there are some people that uh are good at working remote and some people that just really suffer under it. Very much so. So I think it's it maybe it's a case by case thing.
1: They talk about the two personality uh types, those who draw their energy from the crowd and they may not be social people right i'm one of those i love going to a coffee shop to write i don't want to talk to anybody but i love the buzz all around me of course get the caffeine high (laughs) helps too yeah and i can do some really good writing that way
0: yeah no there and there's something about uh just a change of scenery and a change of space I think your brain is attracted to novelty Hmm. and if you're in the same place for too long not only is it depressing but you actually think in a very sort of uniform way right especially for creative uh, um, work I think it makes all sorts of sense to change your environment fairly frequently
1: Others get their energy from being alone. Yeah, uh, My wife is that way. Boy, you know, she likes to go to the coffee shop. She loves to travel and we go to the big city. Yeah. but oh, it just drains her. And she gets her strength by being alone in, in solitude and quiet. Give her a, a walk in the, in the woods, and, yeah. and she's really happy. Me too. yeah. but, but I, I get my energy from uh, people. Yeah. She gets her energy from solitude. And, yeah, and, and the beauty is you can kind of have both.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of a hybrid. I, I yeah. get it, especially if I'm uh, like in a coffee shop, mm-hmm. I get my energy there um, and I'm not talking with anyone. No. Just having that um, that environment helps. But then if I'm if I'm talking, with, especially with someone I don't know very well, mm-hmm. that just drains
1: me. Because I, I know. feel
0: like I have to run the conversation and yeah. it's a lot of energy mm-hmm. to do that.
1: It's so ironic, isn't it? Because you're here at the coffee shop and you're writing and, and people come over and hey and then hey, can i sit down and, and your party is like no i and so then somebody just put headphones on and you go into this little cone of silence in yeah. the coffee shop and it's kind of stupid
0: oh no i totally agree it's it's hilarious <laughs> it's like a signaling thing you what you really should do if you don't want people talking to you yeah you put your headphones in you never turn them on mm-hmm. and it's just a signal hey don't don't interrupt <laughs> me. yeah but i'm not actually tuning anything out right yeah uh So actually on that point, what is your creative process like and and Mm -hmm. how has Mm -hmm. it changed over the years from doing advertising to Mm -hmm. now uh, writing uh, screenplays?
1: Right. My process is, uh, I'll tell you, I really recommend this uh, book, The The Artist Way by, uh, I think it's Julia Cameron. Okay. Uh, I think that's her name. Uh, She's the ex- Wife of James Cameron, you okay. know the famous yeah. uh, director, Blue People, Avatar, yeah. Avatar. Uh, she wrote a book called The Artist's Way, and and it's really a lot of people uh, love this this book. And one of the exercises she recommends is something cindy and I uh, started doing years and years and years ago, and really have made it a habit. She she wants you to start uh, the morning; doesn't have to be the first thing in the morning, but spend a half hour. Write a thousand words. Um, she prefers you do it longhand. I just can't, so I do it on my laptop. and And the whole idea is to just blurt out unedited thoughts, feelings. Don't worry about uh, spell check. Just go. And the yeah. idea is to is to get you past your internal editor. And and so that's something we do. And, and that that really sets the stage for the day. You get. And often I look down. Oh my gosh! I did two thousand words. Yeah. You know, three four pages, and um, but it it and then and you'll find insights in there that you just didn't know you had. Yeah. Uh, and and so then I'll find myself you know maybe underlining and marking that for later, and uh, so that's how I start the day, and and then back to the coffee shop. I, because you know you don't always feel like writing. Um, or you've got other things to do. Certainly. Um, So I sometimes will uh, reward myself with a latte at the (laughs) coffee shop, right? (laughs) You know, and uh, I drag Sinead, you know, she's not as uh, gung-ho having to have that for a reward. She can put her alone in solitude and she can write like crazy.
0: So you essentially set uh, like the coffee as the sort of and but reward for doing your work. It's the cheese yeah. in the
1: maze for sure. And okay. I'm the mouse, and I need that cheese. Yeah, <laughs> Cindy doesn't. And and she's she's written her first novel, and she's already working on her uh, prequel. That's awesome. And sequel. And she she really a fantastic writer, and she does it in in the solitude. And I think those kinds of uh, uh, personalities have the best chance of that long form situation. Yeah. I I love screenplay because it's like. A giant ad you know and i've spent my whole life writing uh uh, words to picture you know here's the video instructions here's the copy right yeah here's what the narrator says here's what this character says so i've been writing screenplays my whole life my whole professional life and uh and and it, it just suits my personality and so I go in spurts, so that's my process. I'll go to the coffee shop, and then I'll I'll maybe make another coffee or a tea or something in the afternoon and do a little afternoon session. Hemingway Hemingway would go in the morning, and he would take, uh, supposedly, he would take like eight pencils, and he'd sharpen them all, lay them out, and he would just write for two, three hours until the pencils were all dull. How do you not get carpal tunnel? Oh, my (laughs) gosh. And then he would order a Jeroboam or something of wine. At lunch, and then he would edit in the afternoon, and I think I think that process uh, I guess it worked for him. Didn't end so well. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But he was a heck of a good good. writer. Man. Um, so
0: yeah, what, what is your editorial process? Do you typically kind of free write first and then edit later or yeah, what's that like? Yeah,
1: what I do with screenplays, I, I'm writing on, I'm not using a program like uh, a final draft or whatnot. I'm, sure. I'm just dumping it out uh, on, uh, I, I compose on laptop. Yeah. I will use, uh, I'll use uh, paper and pen once in a while. Sure. Sure. Um, but uh, just to write down an idea or a premise or a thought. Uh, but, but also, I'll, I'll, I'll write the screens freehand, almost like the morning pages where I'm not even inserting necessarily the characters. I'm just writing snatches of dialogue, uh, where it is, this happened, that happened. So it's really crude yeah. and jumbled and nobody would, would understand it except me.
0: Do you outline before you do that? or you Yes. Just, okay, Yeah,
1: yeah. And simultaneously, and And then the outline changes, but yes, I create an outline of act one, act two, act three, or sometimes it's a five uh, part thing. If it's a TV series and, and I will, uh, write a a little, just short little blurb for, for all of the scenes that I can imagine in this thing and create this, uh, this outline and then fill in the blanks. And it's not linear. Uh, at all yeah uh you
0: kind of come back to certain sections yep. as you kind of get. yeah but the outline
1: is is really helpful because yeah. you say okay i'm i'm stuck i don't know what to do let me look at my outline okay there's there's i know i need this scene in in act two uh and i think i've got an idea about that so then i'm you know through the crazy stuff yeah uh and then and then i'll then i'll open up final draft and transpose that over and refine it and, and that's something, uh, so the crazy stuff is usually in the morning and the refinement would be in the afternoon. I can't go super long bouts again, ADHD, <laughs> uh, the coffee helps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how I am I, too. I, yeah. I have to have my coffee. Otherwise I yeah. will have
0: five minutes of focus.
1: <laughs> you, you hear about writers who will, you know, write sun up to Sunday. I don't, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think, yeah, I think. A few hours is a lot, and then you take a break. I agree. And then you go into editorial and 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 well, tweaking.
0: And, yeah, I I think like, you know, as a programmer, I think that like, programming is a little bit similar to writing, mm-hmm. it is kind of a creative. I mean, it's a it's a creative process at the same time as not being creative. Mm. Um, and the way I look at it is, I'll have maybe three or four hours of really intense focus if I'm really amped up on coffee. Yeah. And then if I go beyond that, my work just suffers and I will just be fighting the same thing for a really long time in a loop. Yes. And it just, you don't get past that, you know, three or four hours of really good focus usually.
1: And maybe that explains, you know, I think we all... Uh, feel a little uh, guilty when we were when we were in the corporate environment. How yeah. much time we wasted in meetings and around the water cooler or going to coffee or whatever. But but there is that need for for that uh, that that intense push yeah. and pull back relax. Intense push pull back relax. Totally,
0: yeah. And I think part of it for me, I'll just take a walk or something. There you go. In the middle of it, and that really resets me back to square one. Um, so actually, before uh, we go sort of back to the writing topic, because I, I find it super interesting, uh, I feel like uh, my audience might be a little bit in the dark on uh, what what are you currently writing, um, and how did you come up with the inspiration
1: for that? Well, the um, as I said before, I, I've I've always wanted to to do fine art, and I I assumed that meant. Writing the great American novel, um, the a, as I progressed in advertising, you, you know, you you're really influenced by movies, and I I just love movies, and I've always watched movies, and and began to realize that I'm, I'm making little movies now, and, uh, and and the better the better ads really do follow the same formula as a good movie. They've got a central protagonist. They they might even have a villain, right? Uh, whether that villain is, is uh, stains around your collar or, <laughs> you know, dandruff, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but they follow the hero's journey in, in many ways, the good ones. So, I, but I, I was resistant and too busy. Uh, but then um, I began to really uh, start thinking in earnest about writing screenplays and And ironically uh, uh, COVID, COVID helped a lot because yeah. it, it really <laughs> not a lot of people were out filming TV commercials. nobody yeah. pulled cameras out of cases. you couldn't get actors so So that was a good time to write and it really, really helped me and and i was I was fairly productive on the screenwriting side during COVID and not productive on the advertising side. What I'd like to do now is is uh consult. I, I don't, I'm not as interested in, in running an ad agency. I, I think that's kind of a younger man's game. You really have to have infrastructure and a lot of people. Yeah. And that's a full-time gig and then some. Uh, I, I'm very interested in, I, I help some clients still uh, with their brand voice, their positioning, how to tell their brand story. Um, I love doing those brand retreats but I'm spending most of my time uh, writing these screenplays and I've got several that I've done. I'm in the middle of one now that I'm doing with Cindy, who's a brilliant writer, and we're doing it together. And the reason we're doing it together is we are, we are uh, telling stories of the female protagonists in the Bible. Um, what, what we find is that, you know, these days, nobody really knows Bible stories yeah. very well, which really are so similar to uh, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. Uh, the they, they really follow that hero's journey. Uh, it's it's uh, people in 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 slavery or bondage needing to escape tyranny and be rescued by a superhero. Yeah. And and delivered into uh, the promised land, and I mean that that's that's the outline of many a very good story right there. And, and potentially, these, they they pulled some of their
0: inspiration from some of those old stories. Who knows?
1: Oh, I think they absolutely did, and yeah. it was so much part of our culture. Yeah, it was so uh, intertwined in the fabric of our culture and our storytelling and our heroes and and that hero's journey. It's why Star Wars works so well. It's why The Matrix is such a good movie, yeah. episode one. The, <laughs> it's, and, and Lord of the Rings. I mean, these are powerful stories, and they really follow that biblical thread, which I think invented storytelling. Yeah. And, and so anyway, we're working on, on a lot of people don't know some of the female protagonists. They, you know? yeah you could argue yes because it's kind of a male dominated thing religion and whatnot and and to a fault and and but in truth uh there are so many powerful stories in the bible that people so we're working on a series of trilogies uh each trilogy being a different uh bible heroine so cool and it's it's so it's so powerful and so fun and uh the first one we're, we're doing is uh, uh, David and Bathsheba, but told from Bathsheba's point of view. So we're kind of that, and we're getting really close to the finish line on that, and working on on uh, on now, you know, who's going to be our, our agent and manager, and how we're going to get this distributed. That's that's a a, a big bailiwick that's yeah. it's complex, but we've got some thoughts and ideas, and making some progress.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, on that note, not to sure, sure. derail too much, but, um, yeah. What is your approach when you try to find a producer or funding or, or whatever for a project like this? What, um, yeah.
1: If I could answer that really well, I would probably be in a large home in Malibu I'd rather be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you see, it's changing. Yeah, It's changing. And, uh, i n I'm not sure where it's going. My suspicion is that more and more it's just gonna be pay-per-view. You know how it is? It's like, oh my gosh, we've we're paying for Netflix and Hulu and da da da. Yeah. And people are like, This is craziness. It was why nice. don't I just search for what I want to watch and pay three ninety nine yeah, happily? Exactly. You know, even I did that every night practically yeah. it'd be cheaper than what I'm spending on all this other stuff. Isn't it ironic we went from uh
0: we went from cable yeah. and paying for all these different packages right. to it all being unified under basically Netflix for a yeah. long time. And now it's split back out into basically cable, you know, and paying for a million different services. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think people are kind of rebelling against it to some degree. Yeah. And and the quality kind of suffers too uh, because like Netflix was throwing out, you know, $8 billion in like two years yeah. at just anyone who would make content for them.
1: So I think that, you know... What you're what you're seeing is, if you sell your soul to you know Netflix or Apple Plus or whatnot, and they buy the screenplay or buy your property, they they take creative control, and you're not sure what's going to happen to that thing. If you opt to say, "Well, I'm going to just try to raise the money myself and do it independent," sometimes you end up with a schlocky little independent thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really tricky thing, but but we you know we we believe we've got. Some contacts of uh, folks that would want to invest in a thing like that, and uh, and 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 know a lot more about uh, distribution than I do, yeah. And and could then and 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 then once once you've got something that's really well received, well executed, and and done well, then then you know Apple and Netflix, and they'll probably pick it up as well. So you'll be on multiple platforms, yeah. not just selling your soul to one. Yeah, that's where we're currently thinking but and that makes this go
0: a lot of sense to to um uh, try to avoid them taking creative control because
1: that was well, yeah. especially with something as sensitive as as an adaptation right of some uh biblical stories yeah but we'd be doing it in a way that's really really uh i don't want to say edgy but very realistic to to i mean if you if you read the bible it's it's got some very it, very mature audience-only themes, you, you, you'd have to be very careful, right? Yeah. And you don't wanna just throw that in the hands willy-nilly of, of someone who uh, may not uh, know the whole story and, yeah. and be able to treat it uh, r- respectfully. Right. On the other hand, the last thing you wanna do is some cheesy <laughs> you know, flannel graph yep. Sunday school version of something that, that is, was really intense and powerful. Because it's it's in seeing the, that intensity and the and the dark side that the light is much brighter. Obviously, totally. you've you've got to show the shadowy characters and the shadowy moments of of some of our our heroes and heroines to see the uh, uh, the redemption, if you will.
0: Yeah. Well, it's that contrast, right? Like it's the contrast. Yeah, if you don't have the contrast, it's not even interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: story is conflict
0: do you think it's that that could conflict. be partially why uh you know your your average run-of-the-mill sort of christian movies are so cheesy yes it's just they don't have the full range
1: they're this. trying to appeal to a a sunday school audience right. uh and they're having to leave out uh you know whole books of the bible they're having to leave out uh many incidents i mean that you know i i, I classic examples the passion of the christ i mean uh, it, that's so difficult to watch yeah and, and now did did mel gibson go too far perhaps but wow you know you're no, not and, gonna and you're not gonna show that movie to your you know kindergarten class yeah you know, so no, i think class. that was
0: one of the only christian movies that uh that left an impact on me for sure
1: yeah for sure and and it did really well in the box office. Yeah. Everybody thinks that if, if, you, if you depict the Bible in the way it's written, with all of its dark and light, uh, oh, there's no audience. Yeah. Oh, there is. There is. No, that's
0: like the ultimate drama.
1: It is. Yeah. It's totally, totally true. I'm also working on um, other things. I've got uh, a, uh, a screenplay that's a series called uh, The Switch. And it's about a guy on uh, death row, murder on death row, and he's on his way to, to the electric chair in the in about the mid '60s, and uh, en route he he's uh, pulled into by the the chaplain for his last rites, and the chaplain switches places with him, and and goes on, and he goes to the electric chair, he's all you know, hooded and everything like this, and this guy, uh, uh. uh now takes his place and and now he has to spend the rest of his days wondering why it, it, is my life worth it was i worth saving yeah it, it's a it's a little uh, kind of like les miserables yeah thematically or maybe uh, brothers karamazov others well the bible has played with that theme yeah uh and and there's reasons why the guy took his place and there's all kinds of backstory and and now he's got to survive and so it's very complicated but but that that hook is uh somebody took my place and am i was i worth dying for
0: yeah i love that i think that
1: <laughs> it's a cool story and a, i'm, I'm really excited about it
0: and it's it's surprisingly less played out than you would expect since it has that huge power behind it mm-hmm. um like I, yeah like you were saying i think the only movie i've seen that really hits that is Les Miserables. Yeah. That's um, yeah, a good one. And it's one of the best movies. Yep. Definitely. Um, what do you think uh, Shakespeare's influence on um, screenwriting and, uh, yeah, the w- w- what was his main contribution to how we currently write uh, films and plays and dramas and all that?
1: Well, that's a really heavy question yeah, and a, and, a, yeah. and a good one. I mean, he's kind of like the ultimate master of dialogue. Yeah, you know and uh, and and what was fas- fascinating about him is on on the on the stage could appear uh, witches or 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 ghosts, uh, you know, real dramatic conflict, but so dialogue driven. Yeah, and I think you know. Some people will say, "Yeah, we do." You know, uh, uh, film has all gone downhill, and 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 some it has. I yeah. Mean, to, to extent. And yet, there's some bright spots. Like I'll watch almost anything by the Coen Brothers. Oh yeah, I agree. And uh, which they actually just did a, a Shakespearean uh, Macbeth, deal. right? Yeah. Which I didn't love. Yeah. But but I love everything they do, uh, and they're masters of dialogue. You know, I didn't realize this. I I've got a little uh, granddaughter. And I was back in North Carolina, watch. And I was tired of watching Bluey, you know, and and <laughs> Baby Shark, and so I uh, uh, got permission to put on a Toy Story, which yeah. she she loved it, she loved it. And and I saw I noticed that uh, uh, the Cohen brothers were on the writing staff for for the you know for the first. Uh, well, Joel, Joel Cohen was on that. Uh, one of the writers for the original. Trilogy. Well, that explains and it's, why and it's so a good. Wonderful, one, oh, I, I was just blown away. Totally. The, the dialogue is so wonderful. Yeah. And uh, and there there are others that, that do really well. Um, who's the pulp fiction guy? What's his name?
0: Oh gosh, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant
1: dialogue. Yeah. And I and I think that kind of dialogue uh, that the Coen Brothers are doing uh, uh, owes itself definitely to to Shakespeare. makes sense so which is which is counterintuitive because you know the whole 101 rule of film is show it don't tell it yeah and that's true yeah but when you do the combo yeah when you've got uh, i'll give you a good example i really am a big fan of of yellowstone the series the 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 writing is really good and, and the dialogue is is so good and yet the imagery. How you can argue with horses and Montana and sunsets and yeah. cowboys. I it's it is, it's wonderful. It's Toy they just, Story. <laughs> they just hit everything. It's Woody on steroids. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so in your writing, how do you get into the headspace of your character to write the dialogue? I always, whenever I have tried writing anything dialogue driven, mm. it's so hard mm. for me to get into that. Like, this is not me talking. This is another character, and yeah, thinking of their motives and all of that.
1: Well, you know, for, for our, our show called uh, Daughters of, of Eve, uh, it's not quite as simple as Cindy writes the female parts and I write the male parts. It's not quite that simple, but the two of us uh, uh, can come to a character and, and, and get to a voice that's, that's kind of unique. Um, but the, the, the answer to your question is, you know, that's, that's a mysterious science. You're, you're in, you know, I would love to be known as one who is empathetic. And yet, <laughs> I can tell you, there are times when I am so clueless. But in writing, it, it is your chance to enter a whole other persona, it's like a little vacation. It's yeah. why I like movies. It's why everybody likes movies. Yeah. I mean, you go to the movies and for two hours, you're James Bond. I mean, how exciting is that, right? It's amazing. And and so in 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 writing, you get to do that too. You, you get to enter a character and take a little vacation from yourself and imagine what this guy feels and is going through. And uh,
0: do you like visually picture that character in your head when you're in that space? And, absolutely. Yeah
1: now the case i mean here's an example we you know not these days not everybody's familiar with the david and bathsheba story but fundamentally david who's like the hero of the bible i mean he's he's like yeah he's yeah. he's everything right minus
0: jesus and yeah. maybe moses he's yeah. he's up there he's sure. just up
1: there jesus is called son of david yeah, right yeah. and um but when he it's really a story of a midlife crisis. You know, he's 50, 51, when he spies this bathing beauty, this, this woman taking a, a bath in her backyard, essentially, which is common, that's what they did. Um, you know, he's up on his palace and he spies her and, and he inquires who is she, and he orders people to go, he takes her. Now, I don't think he rapes her, but he uses his power to mm-hmm. get what he wants. He's having a midlife crisis. His men are all out in battle. He's not engaging in the battle anymore. He's feeling his age. And he resorts to finding his you know, affirmation, his ego stroke in a, in a, in, in a wrong way. Yeah. It's a dark, dark period in David's life. Uh, now, the story of how that is redeemed is really... Powerful and and beautiful in the end, and so Bathsheba's story is is extraordinary. She ends up giving him most of his sons, and and her son and their son Solomon ends up uh, taking the the throne and carrying on the uh, uh, you know the vision.
0: Yeah, no, that's so it's a great story. Powerful. And
1: now I can relate to that in that that I I think I had the world's longest midlife crisis. I think it started <laughs> at about. Thirteen and it's still going. That's no, not true, uh, but I, so I can relate to I can relate to that, and I can enter David's station yeah. and 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 feel what he feels, fear what he fears, yeah. and right from that standpoint, and it it it's so rewarding. If if the thing, I really hope the this, the this, this series gets made, but if it never does, it was worth it for for my digging deep yeah. into those Old Testament stories and and understanding. Uh, uh, God a little more
0: yeah, that's so cool yeah um how what is the kind of primary difference between uh writing in a novel format and writing a, a screenplay format? I mean, besides the obvious that you know one's going to be visual, but like how how yeah. does that change the writing style
1: it's it's it, it is so different um and there are people who can do both. Uh I hope I'm one of them, but I haven't written a novel yet. Yeah. Uh I think I'm probably gonna turn the switch into a novel as well as a screenplay and see if I can. Yeah. But it's a great challenge. But t- to your point, the the uh the difference is, you know, as as you pointed out, in a novel you've got all the time in the world to get inside somebody's head and 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 do this running Monologue interior monologue like we all do, you know, you're driving in your car and you're thinking yourself all kinds of things But it's kind of a boring movie guy driving in his car, right? (laughs) Uh, uh, so But the beauty of the novel is that you really can you can meander all over you can go back in time You can you can do subplots and sub characters and go into their story Uh, The the audience won't have the patience to let you do that in a movie You've got to have a very linear story and uh, as you said it's got to be it's got to be depicted in pictures i mean i remember when i first came up in advertising there used to be a test of your ad you'd you'd shoot the commercial and some savvy clients would uh turn the volume off (laughs) and and see if the commercial still convinced you to buy the latest buick did you, did you show the brand name long enough? Did you showcase our leather interior? You know, so notice, it's got to tell the story visually. And then they want you to turn on the volume and close your eyes. And did it tell the story? Gotcha. Well, it's very unfair yeah. because, and, and, and a little bit pedestrian, the answer is, is both, right? Uh, so you're telling this, this visual story, and, uh, but without that Shakespearean dialogue, uh, it's just not going to work. Um, you don't. You don't get the beauty. You don't get to use the adjectives. You don't get to describe the scenery. But you do so much better. You show it. Yeah. And and so the movies are so powerful. Totally. Uh, but without that that good uh, dialogue, they they fall flat.
0: Does uh, a screenplay limit your ability to? Um do you have the same range of sort of perspectives that you can tell a story from as a novel? Meaning, um, I know like in novels you can do kind of the God perspective or right. you could do the first person or right. even second person. Yeah. H- uh, can you do the same thing in a screenplay?
1: A lot of people, uh, do some uh, experimental stuff. I mean, Pulp Fiction would be a good example of like a series of interconnected short stories told yeah. from different points of view. And, uh, and and that's very experimental and it and it worked yeah uh, uh, pretty powerfully but it's hard to pull off I'm it's sure. very difficult yeah. uh, very difficult to pull off um, yeah the uh, I think by and large uh, there's there's a kind of a formula mm-hmm. and and there's all kinds of screenwriting books you know skin the cat or whatever it is I don't know there's a bunch of them and and, and they're our go to and some of them are like paint by numbers. And and you think to yourself, God, that's just horrible. Look what Hollywood has done to our creativity. And yet, uh, some of the great movies you follow the the the, the beats, and and they really do uh, follow a certain formula that at least you know you're going to uh, you know set up the main character and the conflict and who's the who's the the villain right away. And then you're going to have a second act of all the things that are going wrong in this, this epic journey to overcome this problem or take on the villain or rescue the damsel or whatever. Yeah. And then the glorious uh, 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 finale in and, and, and Act 3. And, and if you follow that, you, you have a better chance of holding your, your audience because they're used yeah. to that story. Yeah, and it's a very sense. old story. It's Disneyland. I mean, Disney, uh, Disney uh, cartoons. Yeah and And some of them were so great and, and now now, of course, Disney's in all kinds of trouble because they're trying so desperately to be culturally relevant. yeah, but maybe if we're I, I'm a firm believer in in tradition, and I really do think that there's so much that that we learn from the past and and that's not uh uh that's not. Being lazy—that's—that's that's building upon a foundation, right? No, I agree, and, and that's true. I mean, that's true. Of music, that's true. Of art. It's true. You—you you want to innovate. You—you you want something, but usually the great innovations are 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 a derivation of something foundational and traditional.
0: Yeah, like that—that uh, that book. I think I actually saw at your house a long time ago. Was uh, uh, "Steal Like an Artist." Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's another uh, a kind of classic that you'll see in a lot of screen players, uh, uh, screenwriters' uh, uh, desks and writers, and and probably on uh, Elon Musk's desk as well. I would imagine. Yeah, I hope he steals like an artist and and creates a phone that that is as revolutionary as uh, as the driving experience was when I first stepped into a Tesla. Totally. Yeah, I'm always going to do, but. Uh, they're 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 all they all alike. Everything's the same. So somebody's gotta break out of the pack and do something different.
0: Eventually it has to happen. Otherwise, uh yeah, just things get too boring. People are gonna look for something else or create something else. For
1: like sure. That. For sure. Yeah. I, I do think that uh the you know the the move up here was was the best decision I ever made. As I as I said, it ended up uh, unleashing more creativity in me, rather than than leaving it behind and stifling yeah. it, and and I really have a lot of, so I, I have a lot of hope, uh, you know, that there is that we are in in the uh, birth pangs of a of a renaissance. Yeah. But I I really do believe that a, a guy can live in the Rogue Valley and and affect culture. Yeah. Even here does not have to live necessarily. In New York or LA, yeah, uh, and that is a credit to the internet.
0: Yeah, that, so that part is good. That's a really powerful idea um, that historically wasn't necessarily the case, and and maybe the other, the previous revolution where that became more the case was the printing press. There you go, where where you could disseminate ideas, uh, you know, thousands of miles without being in all of those locations. Yeah, that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm here. Love it to death. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful place. It's and, gorgeous. And, and that beauty also fosters great inspiration and creativity. Yeah. I mean, like to go to the crowded coffee shop, but boy, get me out into these beautiful hills. And I'm very inspired.
0: Yeah. I, I, actually, I guess that brings up another question. What would you say is your favorite element if you had to choose one of the Rogue Valley of uh, this gorgeous area we live in?
1: I think, I think that answer still holds true. When I first came here uh, with, with Cindy and the five kids loaded in our, our little hippie Vanagon, and we saw that fresh dusting of snow yeah. in May in this lush green valley, and these vineyards in, in valleys that look like you were touring Europe, uh, the stunning, stunning beauty of this place. Is just off the charts. I just love it.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. Did you? So you grew up in California, right? Yeah,
1: Northern California, which was also very very
0: beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous.
1: And and that was part of the deal. I grew up in a little town, Santa Rosa, uh, that I when I was a kid, I think it had population was fifty thousand. And so then we moved to Medford. And its population was fifty thousand. That's right? funny. Yeah. And and when I was a kid, it was all these. Uh, italian farmers pulling up uh, prune groves and planting vineyards and then we moved here and everybody's pulling up pear groves and planting vineyards <laughs> so
0: funny yeah
1: it just repeats itself yeah so i was definitely duplicating my childhood yeah
0: well yeah it's you kind of can't go wrong with um with this area it's so beautiful yeah Especially it's great mountains. yeah and it that. still is and, yeah. and
1: it's growing and good for it needs yeah. to uh, but it still hangs on to its, its Southern Oregon charm. Agreed. Yeah. I think it would have to, yeah, multiply a couple more
0: times for it to really lose some of that.
1: For me to move to Florida. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm yeah. staying here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. For spending this time with us. It, it was great. It's great.